I compare a student's behavior to a fire and, you know, how, how you react to that behavior can either be accelerant and make it grow. It can get bigger and bigger, or it could be, you know, the fire extinguisher, the, the water, and you're helping a student extinguish that negative behavior, that problematic behavior that they're exhibiting in the classroom. We are Megan and Alyssa, former teachers and founders of Pop PD, a peer learning platform for K-12 educators. On the Extracurricular Podcast, we're interviewing the most passionate, forward-thinking educators to uncover tangible strategies you can use in your classroom right away. Rebecca Poe is an award-winning former special education teacher and a national teaching conference presenter with over a decade of experience in the special education field. As an education consultant, Rebecca focuses on providing teachers with the training necessary to offer equitable education and establish connections to students of all ability levels in an inclusive setting. When she's not working with educators, she can be found at the closest coffee shop with a piping hot latte and a good book. Rebecca gives us a pep talk in this episode to remind us that student behavior is not personal. She helps us reframe how we think about behavior to unlock the best way to address that behavior. You'll love her quick tips and tricks for developing relationships and responding to behavior with students at any age level, and she drops a few fun differentiation ideas too. If you've ever been required to attend a PD that had nothing to do with your subject area or that was taught by someone who hasn't stepped foot in a classroom, you understand the mission behind our peer learning platform, Pop PD. Both the Extracurricular Podcast and That Teacher Podcast are brought to you by the team at Pop PD. Our mission is to empower teachers to connect with one another around sharing teaching strategies, tips, tricks, and ideas you actually want, creating a learning experience as dynamic as you are. We know you need access to ongoing, relevant resources to support your teaching career, and it's our mission to help you feel fully supported as a modern educator. Check out our beta platform now at poppd.co and join the waiting list to be one of the first to try the new version of our platform when it's released by visiting poppd.co slash waiting list. Welcome to Extracurricular, Rebecca. We are really glad to have you here. And I would love for you to start jumping in by telling us how you got into teaching and specifically special education. Did you always know you wanted to go into that or did it come to you later? So it's funny that you ask that because I always tell people I never had any intention at all of being a teacher. Like that was not my plan. It was not in any of, you know, my thoughts that I had about what I wanted to do. And I needed a position. When my husband started teaching, we moved to a new city. I needed a job. And the principal was like, hey, we have an opening for a special education paraprofessional. Would you be interested in doing something like that? And I had done a little bit of volunteering at like the ARC and just like through church. It's like, sure, I'll, I would love to do that. And I got in and realized, oh my goodness, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is it. I love this. I loved the students. I loved every aspect of teaching, but I also saw some areas that I really felt like I could improve upon and hopefully make change outside of the classroom. So special education teaching kind of fell into my lap and I'm so glad it did. Oh, I just read an article actually the other day about smoothing out the pipeline from paraprofessional to the teacher 
you know, prep programs and how to how to get people moving through that pipeline, um, which I think is a really smart way for people to jump in, get started, see what they like, and then start their teacher prep program. I 100% agree. The, the learning experience that I had being a paraprofessional was invaluable. I never would have felt as adequately prepared for an actual teaching role had I not been a paraprofessional for so long. That one semester of student teaching that they give you does not prepare you for the classroom, but the experience that I had working as a para allowed me, you know, to work with students of all types, classrooms of all types. I've worked with every student group except for fifth graders as either a paraprofessional or a teacher. So again, the experience is just invaluable. I wonder, did you keep going with that paraprofessional job as you started your schoolwork or like, how did you balance that? I did. So I, I stayed working as a paraprofessional up until I finished my master's degree in special education. And the position that I had as a para, they actually let me use that as my placement for student teaching. So I was able to keep my job as a para, keep getting my paycheck as a para and use that as my student teaching experience. So it really was the best of both worlds. Love it. What would you say, so you've worked with all different kinds of students, probably also worked with all different kinds of teachers. What would you say is an important mindset shift that any, all kinds of teachers, we have all kinds of teachers listening to this podcast, K-12, you know, uh, special education teachers, classroom teachers, all kinds of supporters of education. What mindset shifts do they need to make when it comes to behavior and classroom management and just challenges around that? So I think one of the biggest mindset shifts that I had to have, you know, going into teaching was to remember to try, and I say try because it can be hard, try not to take a student's behavior personally. And often a student can make it feel very personal. They'll, you know, I've been insulted to my face. I've been called any name under the sun that has four letters in it or five letters, you know, sometimes. (laughs) But I just kind of have to separate myself emotionally. And remember, this student is exhibiting these behaviors because they're in a crisis. It is not about me. It is not about anything that I have done. It is about what they are going through and what they are feeling. And it can be very, very challenging when you're in that moment. And it takes a conscious effort every single time you have to say to yourself, I'm not going to take this personally. I'm not going to respond to the words. I'm going to respond to what the words are trying to communicate, what that behavior is trying to communicate. Because at that point, you're able to see past the behavior itself and learn the function of that behavior. What is what is the student really trying to say to me? And that's something that you are able to help fix or help resolve. I love that and kind of getting um, that perspective of it's like them talking to you in different ways, right? Like kind of noticing how they're acting and your response can can be different and kind of help change the way that both of you behave going forward. Right. Like you're, you're able to be kind of a positive influence in that art, even if it's really hard in the moment and there's like a challenging behavior that you're facing. Yes. Um, it's almost like kind of empowering to think. But I, I really like that you frame it that way because I think all of us who, who kind of have gone into teaching 
we feel a personal connection to it. Like, like there is an emotional connection to your students, to your classroom and what you're doing. But I, I think that speaking about that as behavior, that the way that they're acting is not personally directed at you. It's, it's something about them, I think, is a really a subtle shift. We can still um, be so invested in our classrooms, care about those students, but still have to put up that wall of thinking, okay, let me take a step back and really think about what that behavior is, is saying. Yes, definitely. You know, put up, put up the the emotional wall a little bit when it's that negative behavior, but when, you know, when they're, when they're loving on you and they're hugging and they're, you know, they're excited to be in your classroom, feed off of that. And then when, when the negative happens, have, have those emotions to fall back on and remember, you know, not every day is like this. Not every moment is like this. And you have those positive things to, to remember and remember why you're in the classroom in the first place. So great. What's your favorite strategy or technique when you are dealing with a student who's exhibiting a behavior? It's a hard question because it's, there are so many different behaviors, but what's your kind of like go-to? Yes. If, if the behavior is really only affecting the student who is exhibiting that behavior, often I will, you know, try not to bring a lot of attention to it just because by giving it attention, you could be feeding it. There's a professional development session that I do at some different conferences called Put Out the Fire. It's de-escalating students in crisis. And I compare a student's behavior to a fire. And, you know, how, how you react to that behavior can either be accelerant and make it grow. It can get bigger and bigger. Or it could be, you know, the fire extinguisher, the, the water, and you're helping a student extinguish that negative behavior, that problematic behavior that they're exhibiting in the classroom. Can you give us a good example so you just kind of think about like, all right, case study, like I'm in this situation, like what do I do? (laughs) Yeah, so I used to have a student who during circle time, he would get up and run circles in the room. And, you know, I, we, we didn't want him to do that. That was not something that, you know, was an expected behavior. But when we when we would chase him around and try to get him to come back, it took longer. He would run faster. He, you know, looked at it as a game that we were engaging with him and he continued the behavior. So what we started doing was we would acknowledge the students who were exhibiting the appropriate behavior in the classroom. Oh, I love the way that Kara is sitting and, you know, has her hands in her lap and she's ready to go on to the next part. Kara, why don't you come up to the board? You can press the arrow button to go to the next screen. We're giving Kara all of this praise. That's a, that's a false name. I'm just using it as an example. I don't want anybody to think that I'm talking specifically about a student. So, you know, Kara comes up to the board, she presses the button. Oh, Kara, great job. And, you know, little Johnny, who's been running for the last 10 minutes, realizes Kara got my attention. Maybe I should come back to the table or come back to the carpet and sit and then I can get the attention too. So often it didn't happen right away. But after a little while, we noticed he'd get closer and closer and then he'd sit and he'd look to see what the other students were doing and he'd kind of copy that. And then once that happens and once that student is exhibiting the behavior you want to see, praise, 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 pour on the attention. Oh my goodness, I love the way that Johnny is sitting crisscross applesauce on the rug. He is ready to learn. Johnny, way to go. Why don't you come up here and you can be the teacher helper for the next slide. You're reinforcing what you want to see happen and you are 
eventually going to see the negative behavior, that problematic behavior happen less and less because it's no longer being reinforced. You're reinforcing that positive behavior that you're wanting to see. Yeah, that's a perfect example of the fire kind of putting out the flames instead of (laughs) fanning the flames. And it sounds like in that scenario, he probably wanted the attention. So it was about giving it to him in the positive way. I'm I'm surprising you with this question, but I'd love to hear an example from like your older kids, your big kids. Did you work with high schoolers, middle schoolers? Give us an yes, example. Yes, so I spent, spent two years um, working as a sixth grade resource teacher. And often the, the behaviors that you see in your little kids are going to be the same kinds of behaviors you see in your big kids. They're just going to be bigger. You know, you might, instead of looking down, you're probably going to be looking eye to eye. <laughs> A lot of the behaviors are very similar, and a lot of the functions of the behavior are still very similar. Your older kids want that attention just like your younger kids do, but they might have learned, I can get attention by, you know, fighting with a peer. I can get attention by using a really bad word that's going to shock people. You treat it the same way. As As long as it's something that's not going to be causing physical harm to that student or to another student... If you can remove the reinforcement from the negative behavior and reinforce the positive behavior that you're wanting to see, it works the same way. The function of the behavior is not changing. How they're going about exhibiting the behavior might look different, but the function is still the same and you can still utilize those same strategies that you use with your younger students as with your older students. And it sounds too like it's all, yeah, it's all kind of stemming from the same things, right? We we all want that like care, that attention, that respect, like whatever it is that that student is kind of seeking out. It's all like basic human needs, right? Like we, we can, you know, as we get older, we have better impulse control. We learn, you know, how to behave in certain situations, but students, especially as they're kind of finding their way, they're, they're looking for those things from us. And so real, kind of that reaction as a teacher says a lot to them, you know, not only about, you know, your kind of looking out for them, but also over the course of the year, kind of building that relationship and and kind of responding to their needs, right? Right. And the same way that you would teach a child who is struggling to learn to read, the same way you would provide them with intensive instruction and explicit instruction, and you teach the student to read, a lot of times that's what we have to do with our students who have impulse control issues or self-regulation issues. We have to teach it just like we teach an academic subject. You know, you don't, yell at a student for not being able to read, that's not going to help the situation. If you have a student who's, you know, failing to be able to self-regulate their behavior in the classroom, yelling at them is probably not going to help them de-escalate. You have to use some of the same types of instructional strategies that you're willing to use when you're teaching reading, when you are teaching behavior as well. What would you say are some ways that you can talk with students about those behaviors so that they can start to advocate for themselves? Because especially, I mean, I think at any age, but especially with the big kids, like understanding their needs and how they can stay regulated so that they can learn is really important. So how do you help them advocate for themselves? Right. So when you're going to be giving instruction on behavior, you're going to do that instruction when there is no crisis, when the student is safe, when they're in your classroom and everybody is calm. That's when the instruction can take place. Not when a child is escalated, not when there's a crisis situation. That is not a learning moment. That is a responsive moment. Mm -hmm. When you're teaching those strategies to the student, you know, teach them to self-advocate. Hey, 
you know, sometimes I struggle with impulse control or sometimes I've struggled with interrupting. It's not because I don't value what you say. It's because I get very excited and want to put my two cents in as well. So I've mentioned before I have ADHD and I will let people know that sometimes I will exhibit some behaviors that stem from that. But as long as I'm upfront about it, people tend to be a little more forgiving, a little more understanding. We can teach those same tools to our students as well. Having that self-awareness is so important, I think, for us, too. And I think even modeling that for students, right, like the ability to kind of even say, like, I, whether like I, when I was in school, I had a hard time with this or uh, for me in teaching high school and college, it was all about like cell phone use and like right impulse control around like technology and use of that. That was like a constant, a constant conversation. But like kind of talking about that and saying like, yeah, sometimes I find myself just picking up my phone and not really knowing why I picked it up. Like, do you guys ever feel that way? And kind of having those conversations, actually getting them to think about the behavior, as you said, in that kind of uh, state where they're calm, where they can have those those thoughts. I'm sure those are really kind of productive conversations to have and and really, you know, pay dividends over over the course of a year if, if you're really kind of doing those check-ins regularly. Right, right. And you can do that, you know, at the beginning of the class, you know, just kind of see how's everybody feeling? You know, is anybody struggling today? And you can do it anonymously. You can have it be like a class meeting and you can have class meetings with your high schoolers, your middle schoolers. It's not, you know, there's no age limit on checking in with your students. It's not something that's just for, you know, sitting on the rug in kindergarten. It can be, you know, sitting in desks as seventh graders or eighth graders or seniors in high school. I think, you know, having that check and just kind of keeping a pulse on the attitude of the class and the culture of the class, that can go really far in kind of helping to keep those negative behaviors at bay. I'm thinking about with our um, Papiti newsletter, we do a vibe check at the bottom and there's just like three emojis. And so you're just supposed to click the one that, you know, you were feeling when you read the newsletter. I could see with big kids putting like vibe check on the board and like having them vote for one or something with the different emojis. But yeah, you're exactly right. Everybody needs a check in. We, I need a check in in the morning. Like I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. Watch out, everybody. <laughs> vibe check. So I'm, I'm guessing that these behavior, like you must have learned this over time in, in working with students that exhibit these behaviors and how to really kind of master working with these students. What was your biggest challenge looking back? What has been your biggest challenge kind of in your career as you've grown into a I special educator? Learning and unlearning some of the the strategies. I started my teaching career in 2011. I have, to, I have to think back. It's been it's been a while. But yeah, I started I started my my education journey in 2011 and I remember being in a classroom as a paraprofessional where, you know, clip charts were the thing to use. And you could buy them on Etsy and Teachers Pay Teachers and Amazon. Everybody was just pushing clip charts. That's the latest and greatest classroom behavior management tool. And a few years later, we realized this is doing more harm than good. This is embarrassing students. This is making them feel less than. This is making them you know, feel like I've already clipped down twice. I'm never going to get back up. I might as well just you know, keep going. So being able to let go of what were at one point considered best practices and being willing to embrace new ideas that come out, that is, I think that's really the mark of an effective educator because, you know, 
we're also students. We learn from each other. We learn from experience. And if we're, you know, sticks in the mud, just refusing to move and refusing to learn and change, number one, that's not a very good example to set for our students. But number two, we could be doing detriment to to the students as well by not utilizing, you know, what we actually should be doing based on research. It's so hard. You know, I don't think any of us wants to be a stick in the mud, but I I was teaching long enough that it came around for that for me as well of like all these different strategies that I felt like I put so much time and effort into. And then all of a sudden research would show that didn't work, do something else. And it is hard. It's like, oh, I got to let go of all that work and all of that. Sometimes even topics I was really passionate about at a time. And I spent a lot of time learning and creating materials and then to let it go and have to be flexible and change and, and, and try something new it's really a vulnerable place because you have to now you're this, like you said, you're the student, you have to learn again and you have to be okay with like not knowing exactly what you're doing for a period of time. I'm thinking of AI and artificial intelligence, like trying to, now I'm a teacher and I have to try to help my students understand how to use AI. And I don't even know what it means. You know, it's, it's vulnerable state of, we don't even know what we're doing here is really, really hard. And also I did so many cringy things. I feel like we could do a whole episode on the cringy things I did as a teacher that now would be totally <laughs> looked down upon. Yeah. I think if you've been teaching for longer than maybe five years, you definitely have some cringeworthy moments that at the time were, you know, the thing to do. I remember, do you guys remember back 2013 when everything was Chevron? Oh, Yes. All the, the whole classroom theme was burlap and chevron for like, uh-huh. oh, yeah. yeah. I was looking there. Looking back sure. at boards of like, <laughs> I was just looking. <laughs> so bad. true. So bad. Can you That's tell us? Thankful I was a high school teacher and didn't have to decorate my classroom. Like, yes, because we don't have to undecorate. Because right. I would have gotten too into it and like gone way overboard. Like I know know thyself, right? Like I would have been all about the decor and like maybe shifting attention to the teaching a little bit more. But yeah, I totally would have been wrapped into that. Instead, luckily I was, you know, didn't have to worry about that as much. But uh, <laughs> yeah. you definitely see that happening. Yes. One of mine is homework. Now that I'm a parent, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think back on all the homework I gave my fifth graders. And I'm like, I am so sorry. If any of the parents of my former students are listening, like I apologize officially for assigning homework because now that I have kids, like I don't know how a parent does homework with their, like there's no time. So can we circle back just to ask Rebecca, what did you find helpful, you know, in, in kind of thinking about those I don't want to say trends, but like kind of the shifting perspectives in education or kind of adopting and then fading away certain strategies. What did you find helpful? Were you kind of looking to your colleagues for that? Were you kind of looking online? What did you find useful in kind of getting yourself in that rhythm or feeling more flexible over time? What helped with that? Yeah, so I I used to, when we would get a new curriculum, because, you know, there was, there was a little while there where it seemed like every year we're getting the new curriculum that's going to magically be the best one that has ever existed. And my my first thing would be to go online to my, you know, my teachers that I that I collaborate with online on Facebook, Instagram, and ask, hey, has anybody ever used this curriculum? What do you think of it? What is something I need to know to get started? Because, you know, yeah, they're going to send you to a one-day training on how to use the curriculum, but the most 
valuable information that you can receive is from another teacher. It's not going to be from a textbook. It's not going to be from, you know, an instruction manual. It's going to be from your colleagues. It's going to be from the people who you work with and talk with and you hang out with on your lunch break. If you get one, I know a lot of teachers, you know, we don't get lunch breaks anymore. We're eating with students, but the the proverbial lunch break <laughs> that's where that's where we find you know our inspiration and our and our ability to learn and grow we wholeheartedly believe in that that's what we're trying to build with pop pd so we'll we'll figure it out uh, one last question before we get into our lightning round. If you're watching the video you can see but if you're listening to the podcast you can't see behind you you have these bins that say oh, the drawers I've got this I still need some help with this I don't understand this yet. Tell us Reveal that strategy. What's going on there? So this was something that I used when I taught elementary. I didn't use it with my middle schoolers because most everything that they did was on the computer. But this was the turn-in bin. Students would, you know, as they're turning in their paper, they can choose their level of understanding. So we've got the, I've got this drawer. We've got the, I still need some help with this. And then the bottom drawer is, I don't understand this yet. So the student could come up to the sets of drawers, you know, kind of determine their level of understanding, what they thought was their level of understanding anyway, and put it in the corresponding drawer. And for the most part, they were very honest about this. I did have some students who, you know, wanted to put everything in the, I've got this drawer. And, you know, we would talk about, do you really understand? If I gave this to you completely on your own, could you, could you do this? And we would talk about what would be, you know, possibly a more appropriate placement. And then I had some students who really did think they had it and they would put it in there and I could, I could go and see, okay, there is, there's a misunderstanding here. There's something that they think they're doing correctly that is actually not right. So we need to go back and reevaluate the instruction, look at some strategies again and kind of revamp and go from there. But this was just a, a quick check way for me to see, you know, who's understanding, who's pretty much got it and who needs, you know, a little more intensive intervention. Love it. I love that. And that's so easy to implement, right? Whether you have three trays or, you know, organizer, or it's just three, three piles with like a post-it <laughs> that you're putting on each one. It's such oh. a great way to, again, enhance that communication, which is kind of in the theme of that, like behavior and what, how students are acting and interacting in your classroom. Cause what I liked is as you kind of were talking there is it's really like two things that you're kind of assessing. There's the work and the actual understanding. And then there's also kind of their perception or, or like confidence level in that exactly. So two different data points that you're collecting just by having separate piles or separate, separate sections. And then it sounds like you would kind of follow up with conversations as needed, right? Maybe if a student said, I got this and they crushed it, you don't necessarily need to have a conversation, but it sounds like nice little touch points and things that you can talk about with the students if there's, you know, either a lack of understanding and content or if there's kind of a like miscommunication on that confidence level too is opportunity to connect. Yeah, I was able to to glean so much information from from just this, you know, I think it's like a sterilite set of three drawers, like just the little plastic drawers. It also helped me, you know, if I wanted to make some small groups, I could, you know, kind of pull from there and see, okay, these, these students are kind of in the middle. Let's, you know, let's put them in one area. Let's, you know, work on more strategies with this group that does not have it yet. And I made sure to put yet on there because, you know, we believe in a growth mindset and we're going to eventually be able to do it. And I didn't want it to be too much of a negative to where they 
didn't want to admit, I don't understand this. We would say, I don't understand this yet implies that, you know, they're still growing, they're still learning. And I always told my students, if you knew every single thing you needed to know, I would not have a job and then I would not have a paycheck and then I would not be able to go to Starbucks and buy my coffee. (laughs) They would look at me shocked like, but you love coffee. I'm like, yes. So that means that I have to still have things that I need to teach you. And they're like, okay. everything. (laughs) That's great. All right, let's jump into that lightning round. We have so many strategies here from Rebecca on behavior and differentiating and and, and self-assessment and advocacy. So let's jump into the lightning round and find out a little bit more about her. Megan, take it away. All right. So first question, what is a like a go-to activity or game when you're looking to like fill some time in the classroom and want something fun to do with students? So my favorite go-to was an online game called 99 Math. And it had, you know, you could make a class game and work on multiplication facts, simple addition problems. The kids loved it. It was essentially like, you know, it was the same types of problems that they would do if I'd given them a worksheet, like a math fact worksheet. But because it was on the computer and it was timed and they got points, they ate it up and they would beg to play 99 math, you know, like, okay, we have, we have a little bit of free time. You can get on your computers, you can get on your Chromebooks. And before I knew it, hands were shooting up. Can we play 99 math? Absolutely we can. So I'd set up a class game and they loved it. And it has, you know, I used it with my kindergarten, first grade, second graders. I've also used it with my sixth graders. They loved it. They'd come back from lunch and we'd have a little bit of free time and we'd be setting up a 99 math game. They loved it. Add points to anything. We all get competitive. Oh, yeah. When there's points involved. I want to know how I get all the points. That's, exactly. That's the name of the game. Great. All right. Next lightning round question. What is the funniest thing that's happened to you in a classroom? Okay. So this is kind of embarrassing, but mostly just funny. I used to have a Keurig in my classroom because as, as we have mentioned, I do love my coffee. So I had my Keurig in the classroom and I had a bottle of flavored syrup, you know, like the, the glass bottle of the, like the vanilla syrup. And so I'd make my coffee and I'd put my, my creamer in it. And then I'd add a little bit of that vanilla syrup. And one of my girls one day got brave and came up to me and, you know, she's, she's kind of looking down. She's a little hesitant, but she walks up. She goes, Miss Poe said, yeah, what's wrong? She goes, why do you put wine in your coffee every day? And I'm panicking, thinking, what on earth is she talking about? It was the syrup, the glass syrup bottle that I'm pouring into the mug. Bless her heart. thought I was, you know, popping off the mug a little bit with, with some wine. So I had to explain to everyone in every class, this is <laughs> vanilla coffee syrup. It is not alcoholic. It's fine to have at school. And I had to make sure my principal knew in case anybody's mama was going to be calling saying, hey, Miss Poe is drinking wine out of a coffee mug. No, I'm not. It's vanilla syrup. I was like, this is, this is it. For all that, it could have at least been wine. <laughs> like- I mean. I, I had some when I got home that day. I sure did. <laughs> that's a great one. That's a, good, that's, a, that's a kind of story you pull out at a party. You know, that's a, that's a good, that's an all-timer. Oh, yeah. Love that. 
All right. And our last lightning round question. We alluded to this a little bit before, but even just kind of um, any anything else that comes to mind. What's your favorite way to learn kind of new strategies for the classroom or working with students? Um, so for me, really just learning from learning from other teachers, having conversations. Um, I do like to go to conferences if they apply to me, which is hard, you know, kind of when you're a special education teacher, because most conferences you go to aren't really designed for special education teachers. So I'm really excited about um, some of the conferences I'm speaking at this summer. We're going to be kind of hitting heavy on some special education topics that I cannot wait to bring out, but it's not just going to be for special education teachers. It's for general education teachers as well, who serve students with IEPs in the general education classroom. So I cannot wait to kind of bring that information to more people and also learn from other presenters and speakers and teachers that are going to be there as well. Now you have to tell us when, when and where are you going to be? So if people are maybe in your area, they can check you out. I will be in Dallas the last week of June with Get Your Teach On. And then I will be in Orlando July 6th with Teach Your Heart Out. And both of those, I will be doing special education content for special education teachers and for general education teachers who also need to know, you know, the ins and outs that go into special education. 100%. All right. Thank you, Rebecca, for being here. And if you want to hear some more about Rebecca's story and how she started her journey in her online business, and we'll definitely want to know more about these conferences, we're going to talk about that on That Teacher Podcast. You can go listen over there and we'll put all the links in the show notes to where you can connect with Rebecca. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. If you had a light bulb moment during this episode or thought of an idea to share, join us inside our podcast community to tell us your thoughts on both the extracurricular and that teacher podcast. We have a space for you to comment and chat with one another about each episode. We'll also pop in with a fun question every Sunday night, like what's your most embarrassing teaching moment? We believe that sharing our experiences as educators is what keeps us moving, learning, and experiencing more of a sense of connection. You can join us inside the community to access all the podcast episodes, bonus content, and discussion prompts at poppd.co slash podcast.